Father, we just come to you. Come, Lord Jesus. Spirit of God, come. Because we cannot do without you. I cannot speak, we cannot hear. For us to even understand what you want to tell us, you need to move in us. I pray today, once again, you will touch our ears. You will touch our eyes that spiritual blindfolds will fall away. Touch our ears that we might hear what you are trying to teach us. Touch, Lord. Touch, Spirit of God. Let there be light in us. The light that comes from above. The light that was in you. Let there be life. Because your words are light. Your words are life. Speak, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 If you were there last Sunday, I believe almost all of you were there last Sunday, you saw this young man called Solomon. Young king, very young king, the wisest king ever in recorded history. Richest in splendor, in glory, in everything. This was King Solomon. But when he began his reign, began his reign, he prayed. And God appeared to him in a wish. We know God gave him what we call a blank check. Ask what you want. How we love blank checks, right? First Kings chapter 3, verse 5. The Lord appeared to Solomon and said, Ask, what shall I give you? What shall I give you? And we looked at it in detail. How this man asked for something. Yes, you're already nodding, Mahender. Okay. Ask, what do you want? And verse 9 says, his prayer, which pleased God so much. Give your servant an understanding heart that I might discern between. I want to leave this here because then we'll say this is only for kings. The principle of scripture is for everyone. We don't have to judge his people, but we need to judge ourselves and judge everything else. So to judge, I need understanding so that I might discern what is good and what is evil. So his request was that, Lord, give me an understanding heart. Give me an understanding heart that I may discern between good and evil. I don't know what is good and evil. I think I know, but I think also I really don't know. Okay. That's a very smart fellow, very smart man. I think, I don't know. So I gave me an understanding heart. And after the fall, we don't realize this is our greatest need. Greatest need is a discerning mind, an understanding from God to discern between what is good and evil. Because the fall of man came because of one thing. In Genesis 2, Verses 16 and 17, God had said, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Eat freely. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat 
you shall surely die. Surely die. One command he had given them. And we know what happened when they disobeyed that. The primary message here is, okay, we are not looking at these things. We have looked at it in much detail. But the primary message here is, only God, or God alone knows what is good. Apart from God, we can never know what is truly good. By acting to eat from that tree, man started acting apart from God. Now when man ate, he had access to the knowledge of good and evil. In the process, what he lost was life. He had access to one thing, but in the process, he lost something else, more valuable. He lost life. So God actually tells his people, I said before you, life and death, good and evil, choose. Choose life. And we don't realize in the choices that we make, if our choices are wrong, what we lose is life. And unless we have the discernment from God, we will not be able to make right choices. Because only God knows what is good and what is evil. Because he lost life that came from the very spirit of God, which God had breathed into him, he had no access to wisdom and understanding to discern between what is good and what is evil. He had knowledge of good and evil, but he did not know how to discern between what is good and what is evil. That is why when the end comes, people will say evil is good and good is evil. Why? Because we do not have discernment. What we see now, from that time till today, is the result of knowledge without wisdom and understanding. And the consequences of it, of his mankind spiraling down more and more evil. And what is approaching faster and faster as each moment goes by is the day of judgment. What is the day of judgment? It is the judgment of evil and good. But, because we are blinded to the discernment of good and evil, doesn't matter we hear hundred messages about how close the day of judgment is. It doesn't move us. Because we don't have discernment. Yet every one of you as your exam date comes closer and closer. Your heartbeat also goes up. Right? But how come the greatest exam, one exam, just one attempt. The greatest day is coming closer with every moment. And it is not changing us. It's because we do not have understanding. We do not have discernment. That is why the greatest need of man is Lord what he prayed. Give me that understanding that I am able to discern. We know after the fall, we know from Genesis 6, it only took 10 generations 
ten generations. From Adam to Noah. For God to judge. Ten generations. Because man ate from that tree, he had access to knowledge of good and evil, but he did not have the discernment, he did not have the understanding or wisdom, the discernment to choose between these two. By the time ten generations are over, this is God's estimate of mankind. Just ten generations. We are now two thousand years into Christ. Ten generations. In Genesis 6 and verse 5, a little of what we looked at yesterday. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. Okay. We saw five things in that verse yesterday with the sixth one coming from another verse God will say again about the situation after the judgment. First he looks at his says is the intensity of the wickedness. He says the wickedness was great. And God says it is great. It is really great. God says that. Do you not see the intensity of wickedness on earth? It is great. He says, do you see the totality of wickedness? Every intent. Every. It's complete. Wickedness is complete. Every intent. He says, do you see the depth of man's wickedness because he did not have the discernment? The thoughts of his heart. It's gone from the mind to the depth of his soul. The thoughts of his heart are wicked. He says, do you see the exclusivity, absolutely exclusivity of evil, of wickedness? Was only evil. No more good thoughts. Only evil. And he says, do you see the constancy of wickedness? It is continually evil. And then, when it comes to chapter 8 and verse 21, he talks about the length of wickedness. Man's heart is evil from his youth. So we don't get fooled. We see at your young faces, pretty faces, handsome faces, but we look at God's scripture and says, you know what? The thoughts in your heart, if you are not walking with God and surrendering before him, you don't fool me. They are continually evil from the days of your youth. That is scripture. One verse is before judgment. The other verse is after judgment. He says, unless God redeems me, there is no hope for me. This is the nature of man's heart. Religion doesn't change you. Discipline doesn't change you. Training doesn't change you. Education doesn't change you. Nothing can change you. Only God can. Without God... Without relying on God, man will continually keep choosing evil. And the problem is, often won't be even aware as he chooses evil, that he is choosing death. In Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 6, did I give you that? Yeah. 
2.6 For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. It's the Lord who gives through his spirit, apart from his spirit, we don't have wisdom. We don't have understanding. We have a lot of knowledge in particular subjects. And some of you are very street smart. You know what that means? It is smartness you picked up from the streets. If you don't understand, read Dickens, Charles Dickens. You will see a lot of street smart young ones there. Read David Copperfield. Lord, street smart people. And they think they are smart. But they are not smart. They are street smart. And that's a broad street. They'll say, I can survive anywhere. I've learned the tricks of the trade. But wisdom, understanding, comes from God. Then it is taking us closer and closer and closer. And the tenth generation of Noah had no clue. And that is also what will happen to this generation, the final generation. When asked, when will the kingdom of God come? This was Jesus' response. In Luke 17, verse 26 and 30. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. He says, you want to know what it will be like? Lord, how will it be? He says, it will be like that. They ate. They drank. They married. They were given in marriage. Until that day that Noah entered the ark. Now connect this to what God looked at man and said, every thought in his heart is continually evil, even in the matter of eating, in drinking, marrying, and normal life. And they didn't even know they were evil. In the normal course of life, absolutely normal course of life, everything looked normal. And they had no clue that God's estimate of their life and their society was how great is their wickedness. Then in verse 20, likewise, yeah, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from the heaven and destroyed them all. Nobody had any clue. No. Nobody had any clue. Why? Why did in both these examples given by Jesus? Because nobody had wisdom and understanding. They had a lot of knowledge. Lot of knowledge. If you ask them about planting and building, they could tell you. This is how it is done. They ask you about architecture, music, arts, fine arts, painting, science, whatever in there, all they knew it all. Wisdom and understanding to discern the day and how God is looking at it, they had no clue. And they were swallowed up by death. Except in both cases. In both cases, Noah and Lord's time. One man in both cases had knowledge of what was coming. One was Abraham, the other was Noah. Both of them had the knowledge of what was coming and when it was coming because of personal revelation from God. That's the only reason. Abraham knew because God told him. 
No, I knew because God told you. Knowledge, my equation is this. Knowledge, understanding plus wisdom is equal to truth. In the new covenant, knowledge plus wisdom plus understanding is equal to truth. That is why it's truth that brings life and brings freedom. From the day Adam and Eve fell, the fallen man is trying to acquire knowledge and make choices apart from God. We need God. Even Christians need God, but he's on the side, not in the center. Not in the center. It is not God's wisdom and understanding that is enabling us to make our choices. We are making our choices based on the knowledge from the tree and then telling God, sanction it. It is not at the center. It's not. And it always ends up in death, spiritual death, which ultimately manifests in physical death. So it always begins with knowledge. It doesn't begin with wisdom. It begins with knowledge. So God says in Hosea 4 and verse 6, My people perish, are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Whether you want to look it in the secular world or in the kingdom, it begins with knowledge. That's why we say knowledge is power. If you have knowledge in a particular subject and you got very good knowledge, you can excel in that area can specialize in that area in this world and go ahead. So you know it begins with knowledge. If you don't, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. Even if it is to be a cook, you need to have knowledge of good cooking. It doesn't matter what it is. What your career you choose. If you have knowledge and you excel in that knowledge, you can be excellent in that area. But that is secular knowledge. But you know, without knowledge, you cannot go further. In the kingdom of God, God says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. But this knowledge is talking about the knowledge of God. Knowledge of God. God says, if you do not have knowledge of me, you will be ultimately be destroyed. Today, people have do not have true knowledge. They have information. Almost 2,500 years ago, Daniel had seen this unprecedented information explosion. Daniel 12 and verse 4 talks about the last days. Until the end, time of the end, and many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. But has wisdom and understanding of God increased? No. Knowledge has increased. What we see today is information overload. Literally, information overload. But with this enormous amount of information, what we see is evil spiraling. Because the world does not have wisdom or understanding or true knowledge to discern between what is good and evil to make right choices. In Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, God says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's a big, you want this, this secular knowledge? And there is true knowledge. When you come to true knowledge, this is the beginning. 
without the fear of God, all we have is information. We don't have knowledge. We have information. If I'm right in the book of Proverbs, 18 times it is mentioned. Fear of God, fear of God, fear of God, fear of God. Without fear of God, which is reverence for God, even Christians have information and no knowledge. And we are blinded. And not even aware we are blinded. I know it sounds scary. But the truth is, if you and I understand the fear of God, that is the key that unlocks everything else in the kingdom of God. If you want any revelation from God, what is true knowledge, it begins with the fear of God. Fear of God primarily is reverence with submission. Reverence is our first response to the revelation of God. We do not have reverence because we have no revelation of God. We have religion. We have religion. Religion is, we have learned religion, old covenant, uh, you're standing on holy ground, so take off your shoes. We have no reverence, but we take off our shoes because it is religion. Let a woman have a covering on her head, so we cover our head. That doesn't mean we have reverence. All these things have no meaning. It becomes religion when there is no reverence. Just religion. We're just practicing what is called Christian religion. It is like the, the Muslim preacher that clips somebody sent on WhatsApp. Well, like he preaching. We Muslims are more Christian than you Christians because at least we follow the teachings of Christ. God said, we cover your head, we wear hijab. God said in the Old Testament, don't eat pork, we don't eat pork. You break your own God's laws. That's what he said. But he doesn't know what he's talking about. There's no reverence. And without reverence, we do not get understanding of God. Without understanding of God, we have no knowledge. We have no wisdom. We have no understanding. To what is the primary thing to make these choices, the right choices, to discern between good and evil and consciously choose good, 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 so that when we stand on the day of judgment, everything has already been judged. And we are not swallowed up by the second death. Reverence is our first response to the revelation of God. That is the first part of the fear of God. And submission is that expression of the fear of God, of that reverence. So, when you say fear of God, it has two parts. One is that we rever God. Second, we submit and we obey God. That is fear of God. Two parts. We saw last week from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 and 3, about Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord rested upon him. He had the full sevenfold spirit upon him. Why? The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And his delight is in the fear of God. Because he knew if he delighted in this and walked in this, this would be there forever in his life. Otherwise you will lose it. Solomon began this way 
and then lost this and all his wisdom understanding knowledge became useless and he said vanity 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 but let me tell you is knowledge vanity is wisdom vanity is labor vanity is any of the things which he talking about vanity it is not vanity but it is vanity apart from god and that's what he experienced because he lost the fear of god without the fear of god everything he acquired and everything he had at the end it was empty but on the other hand everything you acquire in life when you delight in the fear of god is not empty it is full because the life of god comes into it so what he experienced at the end of it all is emptiness emptiness and that's what you see all the celebrities you go the months they have reached their peak and why are all the celebrities in hollywood or bollywood and all all dying of drug overdose why have you asked them because at the top they realize the emptiness of life the emptiness of acquiring all this apart from god there's no meaning absolutely no meaning and they are all, all there standing before us past two years alone you look at the number of celebrities whichever field you want to look at it and yet we are pursuing their dreams because we have no wisdom we have no understanding this is jesus he delighted in the fear of the lord meaning he was extremely reverent and submissive to his father because he wanted wisdom and understanding to continue that is what you see the revelation of jesus christ in his prayer closet a snapshot of it which is given to us by the writer of the book of hebrews where do you see this in hebrews chapter 5 who in the days of his flesh when he had offered a prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his because of his godly fear and i will say reverent submission godly fear god is not looking at our prayers first god never looks at our offerings our sacrifices our prayers he doesn't look at any of this thing the first thing he looks is into our heart first thing he looks into his heart if god were to look at outside thing then shakespeare should be celebrated in kingdom of god Shakespeare is not being celebrated in the kingdom of God because he is not looking at your works he is looking into your heart when he looked into his son what he saw was his godly fear and therefore he was heard he was heard he was heard where did this godly fear come from that is the fear of god and without the fear of god nothing is going to open for us we are going to be caught all of us with no exception in the kingdom of god on earth everybody will be caught in the same trap as noah's generation and lot's generation without the fear of god there is not going to be discernment we that's why we told the pharisees you have so much knowledge you are able to say oh, look at the weather and look at the climate you are able to forecast everything how are you not able to forecast the day of the lord how come you're so good right got so much knowledge so much information how come you do not know how come because there is no understanding there is no wisdom and there is no understanding wisdom because there is no fear of god honestly there is no fear of god there is no reverence for god reverence for god is not walking like this and all those are outward things it is the heart it is the heart that god is looking at 
In Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10, scripture says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. The beginning of wisdom. And what is true knowledge? And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. What is understanding? Knowledge of who God is, the Holy One of Israel. That is understanding. We'll come back to it later to know why it is so, so important. How did Satan fool man in the garden? What was his premise by which he fooled Adam and Eve and all of us? Some of us are still following that folly of Satan, preached by Satan, the the first salesman, 6,000 years ago. We bought it. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. For God knows that in the day you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I said, you know what? You eat this, you will be like God. And you will know what is good and evil. Now go to James chapter 1 and verse 13 and listen to what James says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by God cannot be tempted by evil. God cannot be tempted by evil. Now go back to Genesis 3.5. Let me explain to you. If you get this concept, it will open your eyes. Get this concept because it's all first understanding what God is meaning. The devil said, if you eat, your eyes will be open. You will be like God. You will know good and evil. You will know good and evil. James says, God is not tempted by evil. So how do you reconcile these two things? God does not know evil by experience. Because he cannot be tempted by evil. God does not know evil by experience. Because he cannot be tempted by evil. Then how does he know evil? He knows evil by relating everything to himself. He knows evil by relating everything to himself. That is why the greatest, what, understanding, wisdom, knowledge or expression of God is God is holy. He doesn't understand evil the way we understand evil. I'm see young ones struggling. Let me explain to you. Okay, just imagine, okay? Just imagine, only imagine, I am God. I am God. I am good. I am holy. There is no comparison. There is no? I am holy. I am good. What is good? Everything that I am is good. What is bad? Everything that I am not is bad. What is evil? Everything that does not relate to me is evil. Everything that relates to me is holy. So without knowing God, you will never know what is good or evil. When you ate of the tree, you became like God. Now you started relating what is good and evil to yourself and not to God. 
That's what happened. That's what happened. And that's what is still happening with each one of us. Because we say, I am not so bad. God said, that's not so bad. Where are we relating it to? We are not relating it to God. We are relaying it to ourselves because we do not have the discernment what is good and evil because the standard was God. But now God is not the standard. It is us. Therefore, we feel no conviction. When we sin, we don't feel any conviction. When we see evil, we see no conviction. There's no conviction. Because to be convicted, you need to know God. Without knowing God, there is... So everything is relative. So that's what they teach in the university. Truth is relative. Just, just truth is not relative. Truth is fixed forever because God is truth. Get this. That's what James is saying. God does not experience evil. He is not tempted by evil. So what is evil? Everything apart from God. If something in creation does not agree with him, it becomes evil. So evil began in heaven when Satan went against from God and then in the garden when man and woman went away from God. So when you see that, then you look into it, then you will realize like Paul, there is nothing good in me. Nothing in good in me. Nothing in good. But so difficult for us to accept because we relate good and evil to us. I'm good. Who told you? Who told you? Remember that incident in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 and 18? Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? He didn't answer his question first. He said, Why do you call me good? What is your reference point? Just calling me good, probably you're thinking I'm better than the other rabbis. That is not the reference point. How do you call me good? Do you know God? For God alone is good. What is your reference point? It's not that Jesus is not good. He is good. He's the same as the Father. But he's asking this man, how can you call me good? To call me good, you need to know God first. Therefore, it is only God who can say at the end, he will say, well done, good. Then, then, then I will call you good because I look at your actions and I will see your reference point was me and you made your choices accordingly and finally I can declare you are good. When I look at you, when I look at me, I can say you are good because you tally to my character. Till then, God says, what is your reference point? Are we getting? The thing that we feel, that's what Paul says, don't compare yourself with yourself. I don't even compare myself with myself. Because when we do all these things, we all feel good. That is the major reason there is no change in the lives of God's people. Because we are not aware of our own wickedness apart from God. We are not able to see. A woman will say, I am a good wife. How do you know I am better than her? I hear her shouting to her husband, but I am not, so I am good. I am good. A child will say, I am better. Why? 
This one fights, that one fights, that one fights. I don't. Do you fight? Uh, I fight, but I don't fight like them. Therefore, I am good. That's why God says, there is no one good. There is no one good. Without knowing God, the fallen man can never discern between evil and good. He can have some rough ideas, but he can really, really not discern what is good and what is evil because the heart is disputeful above all things. You can have an action that is good outwardly. I can only see the action. Behind the action, there could be a motive which is wrong. Behind the motive, there could be an emotion which can be even more wrong. But I don't see this. I only see the action and says, you're a good guy. God says, he's not. What did you say? But Lord, it is such a blessing to a whole lot of people. He says, yeah. He's not good. He's not good. Why? Because he said, you did not see the rest of in the chain. You did not see. Because now man relates everything to himself. And that is the lie of the garden. See if you eat, you will be like God. So instead of relating everything to God, we relate everything to ourselves or others. In the process, we become God. But in the process, we choose death. All the creatures of God are made to discern the difference between good and evil only by relating everything to God, not to themselves. When I relate it to myself, I do not have life in myself to sustain it. Do I have? No. God has. Does our good last? Why is that our good never lasts? Because we do not have the life to sustain the good we do. But God's good lasts. Because he has also the life to sustain it. So Jesus comes and shows the way. And in John chapter 1 verse 18, he shows us the key. He says, no one has seen God at any time. Nobody. Has anyone seen God? He says, nobody has seen God. Only the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father and he has declared him. He says, knowing God is the beginning. And he says, nobody knows God except me. Because I was in the bosom of the Father. So I have come now and I am declaring the Father to you. I know you are flesh and blood. I know you are finite. I know sin has marred you. I know you can never understand the Father. So I have come like you. So that when you look at me, you can understand the Father. You can understand God by looking at me. I have come to declare the Father. He says, I know the Father. And I relate everything to the Father. Therefore, you can relate everything to me. I don't do anything apart from the Father. I know it's very difficult for you to know the Father. But you can know me. Because I relate everything to the Father. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, Who being the very brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins. So this is talking about God. Express image of the Father. 
Colossians 1.15 will say, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. I cannot relate to God because I do not know God. But I can relate to Christ Jesus because He came like me. So if I can relate to Jesus, and because Jesus relates to God, then I can get to know God through Jesus. And I can never get to know God outside of Jesus. No man can know the Father other than through me. Impossible. Absolutely impossible. So every religion reaches a dead end because it is man trying to know God and God cannot be known. Except by someone who was with God and the only one was Jesus. The Son of God came to us and showed the Father. What did he show? What did he show about the Father? The Father is the center of the universe, not us. Each one of live in this fallacy of that fruit in the garden. I am the center of this universe. That is why always our thoughts and our words says, how could you do this to me? Why are we angry? Why are we upset? Why are we depressed? Why are we, why are we sleeping? Why are we not even have attention? Because the center is me. Why should I listen? Why should I listen? I Why should I prepare on a Saturday for Sunday? Why should I? Who is the center of the universe? It's us. Even the most spiritual. In that spirituality at the core is I. It's not God. That's why Jesus said, they said, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, let me teach you to pray. This is how you need to pray. I'm going to change the center from you to where it really is. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy It's about Him. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is heaven. Let me ask you. Does that three sentences make any meaning to your life? Did it make any meaning last evening? Or this morning? Did we realize this is about Him? It's about His kingdom. It's about His will. And I am going to come with fear and trembling. With reverence and submission. Preparing myself to meet my maker. Did we? No, we didn't. And then yet we believe when the trumpet blows, we will be taken away. God says, how can you? I want to take you away. But you are not able to see. It's not about you. It's about me. We are not. We are not. We are sliding just like the generation of Noah's lid. Sliding. Parallel record. Yesterday we looked at it. Parallel record are given. And in one record from Adam... Through Cain, only eight generations are given. After that, there is no record. One generation you have from Adam through Seth all the way till Noah and then continues after the flood. So two generations are going. One generation through Seth, you will see and Enoch was the seventh from Adam and Enoch walked with God for 300 years and then he was no more. While you come through the other generation, it says Lamech was the seventh from Adam through Cain. And what did Lamech say? He's the first one who institutes polygamy. He has two wives. He has three kids. And he murders a man. And he boasts about his murder. Wickedness is increasing on one line. Righteousness also is increasing side by side. Two lines. One is being prepared for judgment. Another one is being prepared for redemption. Which line are we? Which line are we? 
Accomplishments of this line is all means instrument, um, musical instruments and craft and painting and tents and cattle. All is mentioned over here. This man only one thing. He walked with God. That's all. When judge came, all the accomplishments were washed away. But this man was taken without being going even have to go through judgment. Are we able to see the trap we are caught in? All the decisions you are making about life, about marriage, about career, everything. Is really God the center? Do we relate it to God or do we relate it to ourselves? I hear people saying all the time, why can't I? Why can't you? Why can't I or you? Because we are not the center. He is the center. And everything is held together by him, not by you and me. We are just a little cog in the machine. Not even a cog, a dust, a flicker. We struggle. But until these things are dealt with, things will go normally like in the days of Noah. Eating, drinking, marrying, marrying, settling, building houses, careers, IT job, overseas, accomplishments, everything. And then the day will come suddenly. Then we will realize, what happened? What did I do wrong? God said, what you did wrong was everything. You did not relate anything to me. You related it to yourself and had a parallel stream of religion on the side. And because you were religious, you thought you were good. But you didn't realize your righteousness was just filthy rags. For the fallen man, he is the center. Even when we supposedly serve God, we serve God on our terms, proclaiming, I am my own God. Because now we are Christians and we have acquired knowledge from a lot of preaching we have heard, we understand, one thing we understand, God has power. Or at least we pretend we know God has power. So what do we do? We have our prayers. Then at the end we say, I ask all this in Jesus' name, Amen. I acknowledge you are God, you have power. But if you look at my prayer, you will see in that prayer, I am at the center, not God. I am at the center. I am God. I have discerned what is good for me. Lord, I have reached 26. I think I am ready to get married. Oh, you decided, right? Okay. Gave me some new information, young man. Okay then, I think this kind of a girl will suit me. I'll put in something of yours also. Okay, let her be a believer. Okay, but rest is this. Ask. Ask. Do we even have discernment to make choices? Do we really have discernment to make choices in life? Choices for our children? Do we have discernment? Without knowing God, the knowledge of the Holy One of Israel, how do we discern that my choice is good? So if I am making a choice and I am saying my choice is good, why shouldn't the Hindu's choice be bad? Why shouldn't the Muslim's choice be bad? Why shouldn't the Buddhist choice or the atheist choice be bad? They are all good equally. Because in all of you, God says, you are at the center, I am not. He says, that's not how good and evil is judged. 
good and evil is judged by me because I am the reference point, not you. So religion doesn't say good and evil, God says. God does. Our pet favorite rules doesn't decide good and evil, God does. We struggle, we struggle, we struggle. The problem with the Adamic man, he thinks he's in the center of the universe. So even when we supposedly are serving God, we are serving God on our terms. In the process we are proclaiming, you are God, I am also God. We are not denying, we are not an atheist, okay, we are not an atheist. We are all believers in God, but two gods. You are God, I am also God. I am coming to you because I realize there are certain things I am not able to do. I am not able to? So the things which I am not able to do, I am coming to you because I think you can help me in those areas. Let me ask you, if you are not the center of your world, have you asked God, his discernment, his power in everything you do? Why? When we look at scriptures like Jesus says, without me you can do nothing, we repeat it but we don't believe it. Because we have this preconceived idea that I've been in this church for 10 years or 15 years including all the other churches and I know my word, I do my daily devotions. I don't need him to understand today. Because I already have acquired enough knowledge to be able to interpret the word that he is speaking. God says you cannot understand one thing that I'm selling to you today through the voice of man unless you are dependent upon me for understanding. You will come here, a good message, you will get excited, get out and it will have no effect on you because you were at the center and not me. Not me. Your God, I am not. God said, one thing I will tell you, O Israel and O church, there is no other God beside me, not even you. Not even you. I am my own God. You see, right there outside the garden, the first question God asked man outside the garden, Genesis chapter 4, 3 to 7. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Okay? But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? And in verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? What did God ask? If you do? If you do? So, who determines what you do is well or good? You or God? Who determines? Your simple translation, and NIV translation, if you do good, won't you be accepted? Cain stands there saying, I have done good. God says, you have not done good. But you didn't see my work. You didn't see me breaking my back, tilling the ground. You didn't see me 
planting those seeds. You didn't see me watering those plants. You didn't see me watching over those plants. You didn't see how I worked so far. You didn't see the fruits I plucked. You didn't see the best I brought for you. You're telling my work is good. Not good. God says, your work is not good. Because you are relating goodness to yourself. I'm relating goodness to me. Goodness to me. That's the problem. We all think we are good. Because we relate goodness to ourselves or to others. We do not relate goodness to God. That is why in the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, whenever a man of God had a revelation of the Holy God, his first response is, Oh my gosh, I am evil, I am unclean, I am bad. Go from me, Lord. We have no such revelation. We don't feel. We feel good. We feel good. Do you see the danger we are caught in? The trap that we are caught in? Because we are the arbiters of what is good and what is evil. Who decides? God or man? Who decides? And scripture says, Cain is angry. Cain is angry. Do you get angry? Do we get angry like Jesus got angry? Or do we get angry because we thought my work which I did for you was good and you rejected it? You don't realize I woke up at 5 in the morning, I have cooked so much and when I brought it before, you didn't like it. You are angry. Why? Because we thought our work was good. I studied so hard when I got my marks. This is my marks. I'm very angry. Because you know why? You related it to yourself. Didn't relate it to God. Even David, in Second Samuel chapter 6 and verse 8. Did I give it? Second Samuel chapter 6 and verse 8. His initial reaction. David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. David became angry. Why is he angry? What is this? I'm trying to bring the ark to the temple. Your ark to the city. Didn't you see what I did? Did you see the arrangements? 30,000 soldiers, new cart. Everything is fantastic. It is good in my eyes. So why is death happening? Why are you angry, David? Because everything I did is good, God said. No young man, nothing you did is good. Why? Because if you had the knowledge of the holy, you would have known what is good in his eyes. And you would have done it that way and it would have been acceptable. That's why he looked straight into Cain's heart. Then he looked at his works. Not good. He looks at Abel's. Good. You understood my way. And you did it my way. Therefore it is good. You have Abel. You have some knowledge of the Holy One of Israel. You are good. Your work is good. Because our usual response is, I don't see anything wrong. I don't see anything wrong. 
Because we relate everything to ourselves and not God. And even when we try to relate something to God, it is our interpretation of God. Because we do not have the true knowledge of God. How? Why do I say we do not have the true knowledge of God? Anyone who does not have the fear of God will not have the true knowledge of God. He has knowledge about God. He does not have the knowledge of God. Because there is no fear. Because there is no fear of God, God will not reveal himself to you or to me. He will not. He has made it very clear. You cannot approach me. If you approach me, you will die. So everybody who has no fear of God, he will not reveal himself. So what do we? We acquire knowledge from this man and that woman and this TV program and that program. We have an entire set of knowledge about God. But we don't know God. And we have not grown in the knowledge of God through personal revelation because there is no fear of God. No fear of God. Read Proverbs 32-4. Surely I am more stupid than any man and do not have the understanding of a man. Will we ever say this? Book of Proverbs. You know who wrote it. Surely I am more stupid than any man. Is he talking about geography? Is he talking about physics? Is he talking about math? No. I neither learn wisdom nor have the knowledge of the Holy One. He's saying, if I do not have the knowledge of the Holy One, I am a stupid fellow. Doesn't matter what degrees I have. This is true knowledge. Now let me ask you this question. Young ones are all studying and writing exams and preparing for every promotion in your company. Do you have knowledge of the Holy One? Do you put that right there at the top of your list? This is the knowledge I really need to know. That is what Moses realized at the age of 80. I have the wisdom of Egypt, but I do not have the knowledge of the Holy One of Israel. Oh Lord, teach me always. I cannot move from here to here without knowing who you are. I don't know how to discern between good and evil. I don't know how to make choices for these people. All the wisdom of this world is worthless in doing one thing in your name. I cannot. And Solomon was a wise guy. God said, ask. He said, I want to understand you. I want to know you. Nor do I have. Who has ascended into heaven? Or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? What is his son's name? Do you know his name? Who has done all this? That's why the first 40 chapter, 41 chapters of the book of Job is people going cap, 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 all talking about what they know about God. Then finally when God revealed himself, he said, I shut my mouth. I didn't realize this is who you are. 41 chapters of expository preaching. And God speaks and everybody shuts their mouth and says, oh my gosh, this is who you are. This is who you are. And we were giving these great lectures about you. Each one, three friends. 
This is our problem. Godly men and women know this. If you do not know God, it doesn't matter. Even if we know everything, we can know it only relatively. If we cannot relate something to God, we do not have true knowledge about anything. Let me ask you this question, all smart young people. Is there any mathematician who knows all of maths? Is there? Is there any chemist who knows all of chemistry? Is there any biologist who knows all of biology? Is there any physician who knows all of medicine? Is there any English teacher who knows all of English? No. It's not possible. It is not possible. So, when we are priding about our knowledge in each of these areas, we are relating it to ourselves, not to God. I told you about this age-old day in the university when a professor asked his students, does Jesus understand calculus? And all the students laughed. When he laughed, he looked at them seriously and says, calculus originated in his mind. Don't forget. There is only one who knows everything. That is why he is called the omniscient God, the all-knowing God. So when you study physics, do you relate physics to God? When you study maths, do you relate maths to God? What do you relate? He's the only one who transcends time and space. That's why he is called omnipresent. What does it mean? You take Isaac Newton, where was he? He knew science only till how much he could gather in his time. After that, we hear another name called Albert Einstein. Right? So when Isaac Newton is caught in science in time, Einstein is caught in time in his time. Now another scientist comes and saying some of Einstein's theories are wrong. But there is God who stands outside time and says, I know everything. So we relate science to Albert Einstein and Isaac Newton. God says, no, you got it wrong. You relate it to me. Somebody told Isaac Newton in his old age about the vast amount of knowledge Newton had. Newton stood by the beach and he took a bucket of water and said, son, all I have is like this bucket of water before this sea of knowledge. That's God, not me. Do we know? What are we proud about? What are we proud about? What are we proud about our accomplishment related with God? Don't relate it with man. That's why even Jesus said, you don't know my father. You don't know God. Why are you calling me good? What is your standard of measurement? 
We are all created beings absolutely dependent upon him for a revelation of what is good and evil. That's why God says don't judge. Don't judge. Why does God say don't judge? Because I look at Peter, I look at his action, I look at his attitude and I say, you know what, he's a terrible guy. God said, you're wrong. No, I am not wrong. God says you are wrong because you are seeing him now. I am seeing at the end of time he's good. I've already declared he's good because I've seen him finishing. Who told you to call him bad? And you look at this person and say, my God, actually you are so good. God said, wait a minute. Who told you he's good? But he's so good. He's just so good. Did you see his end? No, Lord. He says, I've seen his end from the beginning. Let me decide who's good, who's bad. Relate everything to God. Without God, man keeps falling further and further and further into darkness. Further and further into darkness. But the problem is this. Darkness matters only if you have sight. Only if you have sight. If you don't have sight, darkness doesn't bother you. The world is spiraling into absolute wickedness, evil and spiritual darkness, it doesn't bother us because we don't have sight. It doesn't bother us. If it bothered us, we wouldn't be sitting before our TVs, we would be sitting before God on our knees crying out so that this perishing generation would be saved. It doesn't bother us. It doesn't. We would have no time to go out shopping and doing all these wretched things in this corrupt and wicked world because it doesn't bother us because we are blind men and women groping in darkness. That's the truth. Don't worry about the darkness of the world. Worry about the darkness in ourselves. That's what Jesus told the Pharisees. If you could see, there would have been no condemnation. But you say, if you were blind, there would have been no condemnation. But you say you can see, but you are actually blind. Therefore, you have condemnation. You think the Hindu will be condemned? God says, no, he didn't know. But what about you, he says. You said you knew. You said you knew me. You said you know how to discern between good and evil. He says, you are under judgment, not them. Because at least they were blind. You were not. You claimed not to be. Understand how scripture unfolds. That is the danger. That is why the cry of those saints is to be alone before God and cry and say, Lord, show me who you are. Then tell me what to do. One response about what God is on the road to Damascus by Saul of Tarsus. Next is, Lord, what do you want me to do? He says, I will tell you. I will tell you. Go to Damascus. I will tell you. What? You saw me? Yes. Do you see yourself now? Yes. I will tell you what to do. Unless we see God. And unless we see ourselves in the light of God. We will never know what we really need to do. We are doing things in the name of God. Not because God revealed to us what we need to do. We are totally blind otherwise. If God opens our, doesn't open our eyes. Scripture shows us the pictures which we can understand. That's why these pictures are put there in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 19 verses 10 and 11. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. You go through the scripture and see how many places when the time of judgment has come, God has shut the door and separated two sets of people. He shut the door. 
These are the two angels with the sodomites outside. God, the angel shut the door. They struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness. Both small and great so that they became weary trying to find the door. When they were struck with blindness, did they go back home? Did they go back home? No. But were they still trying in their blindness? Looking for the door to get into this house. We are blinded. That's why you are still watching those things on those portals. Watching those programs on the TV. Still going and spending our money and our time and energy in these malls. Because we are blinded. And we are still groping for that same door. To continue to indulge in the things of darkness. Because we are blinded. We don't see. The end is so close. And closer than any man can know or think about. It is so close. The prophets for 2000 years were warning about our generation. That would be so blindness. With all the information available. Which none of them had access to. You think uh, Paul had a concordance? You think Paul had a device like this. Where he could have 20 translations of the Bible. And search for one word in the click of a finger. He did not have it. We have it all. Yet we are the most blinded generation. Because we have no revelation of the Holy One. They had. They had. In Genesis chapter 10. Verses 22 to 23. Oh no. Oh, I, I, got, I got it wrong. Okay. Darkness, blindness, it's coming upon the whole earth. And God's answer to all this is in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19. He says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live. And then what does he say in verse 20? Verse 20. It says, life and death, blessing and curses, choose life. Then he said, yes, Simon. That you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. He said, choose what? Life. And what is life? For he is your life and the length of your days. How is your life measured? How do you measure your days? I work till 60 in this company and I retired. And after retirement, I built this house. And then I lived so long. I saw my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, great-great-great. All this is how God says, no, your length of your days is measured to how long you really knew me. He's your life and the length of your life. Oh, how old are you? I am 92. How long did you know me? Six months. God, that's your length of your life. How much do you know me? This much. Is that the length of your life? That's what you're going to see an incredible transformation when eternity begins. You will see adults becoming babies, babies becoming young men, young men becoming giants because it's all about how much you knew God. That's the length of your days. All the information you gathered on earth will have no meaning in eternity other than the knowledge of the Holy One of Israel. But when we choose God, remember, He said, choose God. He's your life. We don't choose like equals. Okay, I have chosen 
Vijay to minister with me. No. When you choose God, you don't make a choice like that. You choose with reverence and with submission. Probably I have chosen God. Really? God said, you did not choose me. You think what? I am equal? I have chosen you. That's what he asked in the whole book of Malachi. You say you honor me. Yeah, we have honored you. He says, how do you honor me? How do you honor me? Let's, let, let's come to your level and compare it, how you honor me. If you are a son and this is your father, does the son honor his father that way? And then you call me father. Have you honored me that way? That is why the fear of the Lord, the reverence and the submission is the key that unlocks everything else. In Psalm 34, Solomon's father, David, I believe David taught all these things to Solomon and from there he expanded it. Come you children, listen to me. Listen to me. I will teach you. What will I teach you? Fear of the Lord. It can be taught. It can be taught. You can teach yourself the fear of God. Anything can be learned, good or bad. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. It has to be taught. This is the attitude with which we approach God and His word. In Philippians or Hebrews, work out your salvation with, that is, uh, yeah, Philippians 2.12. How do you work out our salvation? With, is that fear? Trembling comes only when we have dehydration. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. When men don't honor God, when wives don't honor husbands, when children don't honor their parents, where is fear and trembling? Isn't that the generation we are living in? Employees don't honor their bosses. And then when we come to the house of God, we pretend we are very reverent. And there are preachers who will put the tag also before their name, reverend so and so. Learn, God says. One of the most important passages about learning is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 to 9. Can I have that? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. First thing it tells Israel, know this one. This is not oneness or Pentecostal movement, but God is one. There's only one God. Expressed has three different people, but one God. There's no two gods. You are not God, I am not God, there's only one God. Israel, understand one thing, there's only one God, the rest are his creation. One God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. There's only one God, and he demands everything from you. Not only he demands, he deserves everything from you. Next thing. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and of your gates. It all begins in verse 4. With what? Here. What does it begin? Every sermon begins with what? Here. It, it succeeds or fails in one word, whether you hear or not. Did you hear? 
Hear in the Bible means listen and obey. Listen and obey. Even if we listen, we don't obey. And when we obey, we haven't listened. So we don't know what we are obeying or whom we are obeying. First thing to Israel is hear. That's why Jesus said the road to life is very narrow. Very few will find it. Because what is the first problem? The first problem is this. People have ADD. What is that? Attention. Deficient disorder. They have. When it comes to scripture, have you always noticed when it comes to scripture, you are not able to hear? Because you, everyone, everyone, unless you have really, really surrendered to God, everybody has spiritual ADD. You are not able to hear. When our child has ADD and the school sends a report how fast we go to this consultant and that consultant spend through our nose for a diagnosis, but it doesn't bother us that we are not able to hear the word of God. It doesn't bother us when our children are not able to hear the word of God. When you have ADD, then we have what I call ODD, Obedience Deficit Disorder. Struggle. So ultimately, what does it happen? It all ends up us being little gods, deciding what is good and what is evil. Everybody sitting here. I don't know, I'm just making a rough guess. Everybody here has already decided for the most part of our life, what is good for me and what is not good for me. You have made your own choices, not God for you. Honestly. Even you young people, young children sitting over here, after 10 years, when you finish class 10 or class 12, when El Sunday comes and asks you, what do you want to do next? Which one of you said, let me fast for 7 days and I hear from God and I will let you know, auntie. Did you ask? Why? Because you already decided I can make my own choices. And I am also God. I, I can make my choices. I was telling at GTLC. It was a joke. I was telling about GTLC, about uh, brother Banu and his wife. You know, if they had known then like Rebecca. Rebecca was a very smart mother. As soon as trouble started over here, she knew it was not gas. She knew it was the children fighting. So she went to God. She didn't go to a guy. She went to God. And said, Lord, what is happening? He said, something. The younger will serve the... So the elder will serve the younger. The younger one is... Who is the one chosen? Jacob is chosen. So Rebecca from that day was very watchful over Jacob. When Jacob grew up, she said, you stay with me. Let the other fellow go. I love him. I love you. But I know God loves you and not him. So you stay with me. Very simple. You know how simple to make choices? Her reference point was not her, or not even her heart or her affections. Her reference point was God loved Jacob, not that she loved Isaac, sorry, Esau. Very simple. Is that our reference point? You stay with me. And Jacob stayed in the tents with his mother. That's what scripture records. First 15 years of Jacob's stay in the tents, his grandfather Abraham is living. That's why this man will search after God. While the other fellow is searching after goats, in the hills, this man is searching for God. See the difference? 
I said, if uncle and auntie had known, they would have fasted and they would have prayed and they would have heard from God. Your eldest son has been set apart. Prepare him to serve him. You know how much trouble and money they would have saved? <laughs> it's, they woke me up and beat him up and trained him up and put him through school and college, engineering college, M.Tech and robotics, PhD, five years in Canada. He wasted all that one day. God says, you come. You know how simple life is and how complicated we make it because we want to be God. Make it complicated. You want to be God. It is very simple for Hannah to make a decision about Samuel. We're going to Shiloh. Okay, you go, I'm not coming. Why? Already decided this boy's future. What is it? He will serve God, so let him be weaned off. I'm preparing him. Then I will hand him over to God. My job is done. Very clear. She didn't play God over Samuel. She allowed God to be God in Samuel's life. That's why God says, Hear, O Israel. Your God is one. There are no other gods behind me. I am the only God. Young children, learn now. Go before God and ask, What do you want me to be? What do you want? And don't don't stop until he answers you. By that, he's not waiting to answer you. He's waiting for your submission and obedience to come to the point where he can speak to you. Because he looks at your heart first, not at your prayer. He says, you are asking the right prayer, but you are not ready to obey. If I tell you now, you will not listen. Come down, come down, come down. One day when you are ready, he said, this is one. He said, thank you, Lord. That's where I am going. Otherwise, you will not be willing to leave. Willing to leave. Love your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. Immediately we have discernment and it says, I don't feel anything. Who told you love is a feeling? God felt so much. No. Scripture says God so loved the world, he gave. Love is an action. Feelings will follow later. In John chapter 14 verse 21, this is what Jesus said. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves the Lord. You can find his commandments, you keep the commandments, you will know that you love God. Otherwise you don't love. Doesn't matter how many hugs you give your father or your mother and how many kisses you leave give. But if you don't obey what they say, you don't simply love them. You don't have discernment from the word of God. So you get fooled by all the hugs and kisses of your children. When you know they don't love you because they don't obey you. You don't have discernment. In John chapter 15 and verse 10, Jesus said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You will abide. You don't have to worry. Are you keeping my commandments? Yes, Lord. I'm looking, searching, finding, keeping. But just you are in my life. You don't have to worry. You don't need a feeling for that. You're living my life. You know you're safe in my love. It's very difficult to understand. That is why God says, read, hear, O Israel, know Israel, read, meditate and bind it to your life, my word, until you walk in them. That's what he's saying, not like the Pharisees did binding it here and binding it. He says, bind it to your life and walk in my word. You will always be secure. You will always know that I love you. And it doesn't matter where you go. You are thrown as a 
by your brothers into your well, sold as a slave, send it to Potiphar's family. You obey me, you will know that I love you and I will be with you there in the palace, in the prison and I will take you out and you will reach your destiny. It doesn't matter whether you are taken from Jerusalem to Babylon in chains. Daniel, you don't have to worry because I know you love me because you obey my commandments. So in Babylon, the first decision Daniel does opens his mouth and says, how do I obey him? He looks, food is served and he said, sorry, I cannot eat this because I love my God. Therefore, I obey him. I obey him. Simple thing. Very simple thing. About food. Very simple thing. Very simple thing. And God think, do you think God did not see? He saw that one little young man, 17 year old young man, standing in this opulence of the Babylon court, the spread before the temple. He is asking, can I eat this, this alone please? Why? Why do you want to eat that, Daniel? I love him. And I, I want to obey his laws. His laws were written hundreds and hundreds of years ago in the book of Leviticus. Can I keep it, please? Leviticus, your God? Your God is powerful. Yeah, then how come you are a slave? That doesn't change God. I'm not relating my God to my experience. My God is God always. It doesn't matter what I go through. He doesn't change. We look at our imprisonment and says, oh, no need to obey our God. If it was powerful, you could have saved me. God says, no. That's not how you relate. You relate me to myself, not to your experiences. Do we value the word of God that way? Do we? Start. Start somewhere. You don't have your finishing in one day. Start somewhere. Otherwise you're going to spiral into the darkness that is coming upon the whole earth. And one little faithful church worldwide will be taken away and we will be spewed into the tribulation and will come through death. God says, that's the only doorway. I told you, I told you, I told you, I told you. My fear is not of people coming through tribulation. Will you be able to withstand tribulation without denying Christ? That's what Zach Bunan said, if I'm right, if you could not follow God during good times, why do you think you will follow God during bad times? Why do you think? Why do you think? Without the knowledge of the Holy One, we cannot discern between good and evil. Because it is all related to Him. He is the reference point. Like I said, in the ancient days when the mariners sailed in the seas and if it was overcast and they were there, what happened? They wandered and wandered and wandered looking for cloud break at night. The minute the cloud came out, they saw the North Star. They knew which direction they were going in. There was one reference point alone for the ancient mariners, one star. It's only one reference point for what is good and evil. It is God. In 10 on Mount Sinai, when the 10 commandments were given, that changed human history. Why? Not because of 10 rules were given. Those 10 rules, the reference point was God. God said, this is who I am. What is the first commandment? What is the first commandment? Exodus 22 and 3. Look at the first commandment very carefully. Exodus 20, verse 2 and 3. I had given it there. Look at the first commandment God says. I am the Lord your God. What's the first commandment? Everything further you read down is in reference to Him. 
we take him out and make it into ten rules. God says, no, it has no power, it has no meaning. Reference is me. I am the Lord your God. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. Also remember, I am the God who brought you out of bondage. Therefore, you will have no other gods before me. And if you have other gods before me, the result, my dear ones, you will go back to bondage. You'll go back to bondage. Christians are bound by more gods than unbelievers. Because for them, there are more reasons. They turn their backs to him. Do you relate everything to him? God says you will be free. If you don't, you'll go back to bondage. So without knowing God, I cannot discuss or discern good and evil. And if I cannot discern good and evil, unknowingly or knowingly, I will choose evil. Have you looked at the Ten Commandments very carefully? Have you looked at the Tenth Commandment? Thou shall not. Thou shall not. Thou shall not. Say loudly, thou shall not. Even the desire to sin is sin. Have you done anything? Have you done anything? No, I haven't done anything. But he said, you don't have to do anything. Even to desire to do evil is evil. Then how do I know my desire is not evil if I do not know how to discern between good and evil? That's the problem with the righteous man. I haven't done anything good. I haven't done anything bad. I haven't done anything bad. Revi Zach talks about meeting a miracle. Paul Washer, Revi Zach, somebody talks about meeting, uh, I forgot who it is, meeting a man in India. He says, I'm good. You're good? Yes. Have you never lied? He said, no. Have you always obeyed your parents? Yes. Have you never done this thing? No. Have you ever done this thing? No. Have you done this thing? No. Then he asked him, are you proud about being good? He said, yes. He said, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. You don't know. Look at the tenth one. Even that desire to be like somebody else other than God is a sin. It's a sin. That's why God says, you want a reference point? Let me give you a reference point. Be holy as I am holy. Anything less than that is a sin. Anything less than that is falling short of what God wants to make us into. So he's committing an action? No. It's an emotion. It's a desire. But God says it is sin. Do you understand without God? Without reverence and obedience, it is impossible to know what it is evil and good in us. Let me give an example how blinded we are, just like the generation of Noah. Ask the days of Noah is the reference. Okay, now all the young people sitting over here, open your eyes and open your ears. It's going to be very interesting for you, not palatable, but very interesting. Days of Noah. Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. 
Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and the daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. The Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. Let's go back. All young people, all the young ones, teenagers, 20, 21, 24, 25, 26, 35, 40, 50, because everybody is young these days. Or at least trying to look young. Verse 3. What did God say? My spirit shall not contend with this generation. Can't. Reason? Many reasons. But primary reason given over there. Verse 2. The sons of God saw the daughters of men. And they were? They were? They were beautiful. But yet God called them evil. So what is your concept about beauty? It's in every choice this generation makes with an outward look at beauty and never the inward holiness which God calls beautiful. What is the difference between this generation and that generation where the standard is the same? They said, wow, she looks fair. Look at her eyes. Look at her clothes. Look at her figure. I'm going to marry her. Isn't that how you make your choices? Isn't that what we call beauty? And God says, my spirit cannot strive with this generation. Because they have no concept about what is really beautiful. Without God being the reference point, do you know what beauty is? Can we discern what is beautiful? After service, he said, oh, you look so cute. Who told you? Is your reference point God? Did you see into their spirit, the meek and the beautiful spirit that is of great worth before God? Did God give you discernment to say that you are beautiful? What is your reference point? What is your reference point? Girls and men, what is your reference point? Why are all these men going to the gym and breaking their sweat? Because they want to look beautiful according to the eyes. Six packs, six packs. So if you look at all these young men, their photographs on their camera, as if they got constipation or something. Who told you? Who told you? What is your reference point? Psalms 96 and verse 9 says, Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. Beauty of His holiness. Can God say you are beautiful? Can our eyes really see beauty separated from holiness? God says separated from holiness, all beauty is ultimately ugliness. He says, you want to know it, brothers and sisters? He says, look at the human body. He says, there are two human bodies, the believer and the unbeliever. But you look at the human body. Everyone is aging, 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 aging. Corruption is setting in, setting in. Doesn't matter what you do to it, what surgery you do, what makeup you put, what money you spend, you are corrupting. Corruption, corruption, and one day you will die. Once you die and you are buried, what happens to your body? Worms get in. Start eating you up. Both bodies are equally corruptible, nasty. Worms have eaten up. And then, there is a day a trumpet is blown. 
when the trumpet is blown, the body of the believer, which had the life of Christ and grow in the life of Christ, erased up as an incorruptible body, while the body of the one who did not believe in God and did not walk with God is still the same body, corrupted body, and there the fire will not be quenched, nor will your worms die. Do you see the effect of outward beauty? What happens? And the difference between inward beauty? Yes, the corrupted body will be resurrected as the immortal corrupted body where the fire never quenched and you will always have worms. Is that what you are feeding? Is that what you are spending your money on? Check your account and see how much you spend on your body. I'm not talking about food. On your body this month. Because you don't know what beauty is. And how much you did spend your time, your energy, your resources to beautify your inner man. Ask. 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 That's what God is talking about. Do we even know how to discern? Do we even know how to discern? Men, sons of God, daughters of men, they said, oh wow, beautiful, they said, handsome. God said, wickedness, wickedness, ugly, ugly in my sight. He's grieved in his heart. I made you. That's what scripture records. Do we understand? Understand? How do we see ourselves in 20th century? Genesis 29, verses 16 and 18. 16 to 18. Then Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate. Rachel's was beautiful of form and appearance. Two daughters. One not good looking. One good looking. What happened? Now Jacob loved Rachel. Why? Jacob, why are you a slave for 14 years? Because you went for outward beauty and you were trapped by it. You made your choice according to outward. Rachel is so beautiful. So beautiful. You are a slave for 14 years. Jacob's mother, Rebecca, also was beautiful. You know that? She also was beautiful. But that was not the criteria why she was chosen to be Abraham's daughter-in-law. Now read that account. When Eliezer, the type of the Holy Spirit, is going to pick a bride for Isaac, what the scripture said. He said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of the water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. When now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink and she says, drink and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac and by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. One prayer. Lord, a girl will come. We are here. I will ask this girl, give us some water. And if she is of a meek and a quiet spirit, of that beautiful spirit inside, she will say, yes, my Lord, and humbly serve us. That's the girl for Isaac. Can God see that in you? In us. Today everybody wants to be served. That's why there was nobody yesterday here. 
God, I've gone for so many pastors meeting. What's the point? You don't come here to hear. You come to serve those poor servants of God. You don't come just to hear. There are many things to be done in the house of God. So many things to be done. But can you be told? I don't tell anybody. I just make announcements. Because one thing I have learned in ministry in 25 years, you cannot tell anything to people. You have to walk on eggshells. Ask any pastor anywhere when we sit and discuss. The first thing we ask is, can you tell your church to do anything? They'll say, you cannot. You have to be very careful. They will not listen. So they make general announcement and leave it at that. Because there is no meek and a quiet spirit. There isn't. Very few will be there to whom you can say, hey, I want you here. Go there. They will not. They will not. The first thing the Holy Spirit says, when this girl comes, I'm going to ask her something. What I'm going to ask her is going to be such a laborious task. But because she has a meek and a quiet spirit, she will say, yes, my Lord. And after that it is written, she was beautiful. That's an add-on. She was also outwardly beautiful. She was pure. She was holy. All that. But the first thing God says is, do you have a meek and a quiet spirit? Is that what we look? Is that what we look? Ask. In First Peter chapter 3, 4, isn't that what God says? This is beauty. The hidden person of the heart. Hidden person of the God looked at Cain and had no respect for him. Why? He looked at the hidden person of the heart. Ugly. He looked at Abel. Hidden person of the heart. He said, I will receive your offering. Do we have discernment? Or do we have the discernment of Jacob? (gasps) What a pretty girl are you? I want to marry her. Forgot who her father is. Young ones, don't make mistakes. There isn't much time to correct. Hebrews 12 verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see God. No one will see God. I asked the pastors yesterday, if the greatest intent in your heart is not to see God, why would you pursue holiness? I'll just make it to heaven. That's fine with me. On earth, you know that. You love somebody. And you fall in love with somebody. You will make all kinds of plans and programs and everything to talk to that person or to meet that person to see his or her face. God says, do you want to see my face? Do you want to see my face? Sad truth is, people don't want to see his face. They're okay. Go to heaven. Face? I never th- I thought everybody can see his face. God says no. How you perceive me will differ in eternity. If you don't perceive holiness, you will not see me. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5 and verse 8? Blessed are the pure in heart. That is the whole purpose behind sanctification. It's not sanctification for sanctification's purpose. Lord, cleanse me that I might see you. I might see you. But if we are not interested, we have been blinded by the spirit of this age. You cannot have both. You cannot have the spirit of this age and the holiness of God. You can only choose one. 
In Exodus 28 verse 2, God says, you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for? Did anybody think that old man who is 83 or 84 years old, he looked beautiful in that garment? God said he is. I was looking at this girl and thought she was beautiful. God says, I'm looking at that old man and saying he's beautiful. Why? Because he's dressed in holiness. Did you see it? 83 year old, 80, 83, 84 year old, old man. Dress him. Make holy garments. Is your garment holy? Is your garment holy? What is your reference point? No, my sleeve is longer than hers, so mine is more holier. God said, who said so? Let me ask you this question. When you see a description of God, either in the book of Old Testament or in the book of Revelation, is any part of his anatomy revealed? Other than his feet and his face? Why is that modern holy men and women who claim to know God, all parts of their anatomy is revealed? Because you have a beauty without holiness, which is carnal, which is from the devil and not from God. Proverbs 31 and verse 30. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is passing. It's passing. Everybody knows. Each time you go look in the mirror, you know it is passing. It is passing. You don't know where it is passing, but it is passing. But, woman fears God. Will be always praised as what? As beautiful. Fears God. Can we pursue true beauty? Or like Jacob, only love that is outward. Outward. We are not able to love that is not beautiful in the carnal eyes. Because we don't have discernment. So if a child is dark, or it has got a cleft lip, or nose turned like this, I will say, huh, and we walk away. Because we didn't able to discern what is truly beauty. That's why all your sleeves get smaller, your earrings and this thing, because you want attention. I am beautiful, please look at me, I am beautiful. Because nobody has discernment to be able to see inside. So you have to glorify yourself outside. But God sees. God sees Jacob. And God sees this man cannot love anything that is not outwardly beautiful. Does scripture record it? Yes, it does. Look at what it says in Genesis 29. Uh, uh, go further. Uh, further ahead. Did I give you 32? Sorry, 29. I gave you 29. Yeah. No, no, no. Go to 29. Uh, when God saw. I think it's verse 29 onwards. Yeah? Yeah, 31. 31. Yeah. When the Lord saw Leah was, God sees. God looks at Jacob. God looks at, he says, you know what you dude? You cannot love this woman. You can only have sex with this woman. You cannot love her. Because she's not beautiful. She's not beautiful. Her husband forced her upon you. Her father forced her upon you. So you have no choice. But you are not able to love her because you can only see outward beauty. So what did God do? 
he opened her womb and Rachel was barren. God says, it's a message to us. God says, all those who are pursuing this outward beauty will be barren in my kingdom, while those who pursue inward beauty will be fruitful in my kingdom. Learn the message. Learn. Learn the message. Lord, give me discernment to know what is really beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. That's what we start right from our childhood. We tell you, oh, you're looking so beautiful, so beautiful, beautiful. And finally, we make them into clothes mules. Right from childhood. We made the mistakes. We still make the mistakes after all the sermons. Socks have to match. Panties have to match. Dress have to match. Hairband has to match. Everything has to match. You're so cute, so cute, so cute, so cute. We are never looking at the inside and complimenting all that is outside that is bought from a store and we will be putting the garbage back two years from now. We are complimenting that, how it looks on your outward beauty, body that is perishing. And then we grow up like that. And everything that you see on TV, there is no advertisement where a man or a woman is put in for an ad. If he doesn't look good or a woman doesn't look good, you, you cannot be good for an ad. And we have up appropriated all that, brought it into the kingdom and we sit there in the church thinking, I am beautiful in the eyes of God. God looks at the generation of Noah and says, wicked, how great is your wickedness? How great is your wickedness? How great is your wickedness? You know what is written after that? Leah conceived. Reuben, Leah conceived. He said, she thought, at least my husband will love me because of my work. I bore him something. No. Then she conceived and I'll give Simeon. He's not bothered. Then again she conceived and bore a son will become attached to me. And she named him Levi. He's not attached to her. He's attached to Rachel because he has eyes only for outward beauty. Then she turned her eyes from Jacob and turned her eyes to God. And then scripture says, she conceived again and bore a son and she said, now I will praise the Lord. And she called him Judah. And from that unloved woman who did not have outward beauty, would come Judah and later the son of Judah and the scepter shall never pass from him. Never, never pass from him. And do you know what is written about the son of Judah in Isaiah 53? What is written? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root of a dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. He has no form or beauty that when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Unless we have discernment to know what is really beauty, when you look at Jesus, we don't desire him. And we don't desire him because our eyes are blinded. And we are running after the beauty of the world because we do not see beauty in Jesus. And we don't want to spend time with him who is really beautiful. Oh, we can sing songs. He is beautiful, more beautiful than 10,000 souls. Lily in the valley. And those are all just songs. It is shown in the hidden person of the heart. How you are before God. Whether you are really, really attracted by his beauty. God says, you don't fool me. I know. I know. I know. I know. This is beauty. No outward beauty. There is no beauty. That we should desire him. No beauty. That we should desire him. That's how we send his servants. John the Baptist came. He looked ugly. 
all are the Pharisees, long robes and this thing. And here is a man coming in a rough and a belt. But the beauty of God was portrayed through his message. And crowds came convicted and said, what should we do to be saved? They saw the beauty of God's holiness in that man who had no outward beauty. No outward beauty. That's what we looked yesterday. Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with just seven verses about this man. Four verses in the book of Genesis, one verse in the book of Hebrews, and two verses in the epistle of Jude. Seven verses about a man who walked with God for 300 years. And God looked at him and finally said, you are good. Let's go together home. You want to be raptured? You want to be raptured? Start looking for what God is looking in us. Not what the world says. What God is looking in us. Start looking. Don't be Noah's generation. Be like Noah. Have reverence for God. Submit. Obey. As I close, one verse, Genesis 6, verse 14 to 16. Interesting how you keep learning from the same passages over and over and over and over again. I preached from Genesis for the past 25 years, still learning. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and outside with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, width 50 cubits, height 30 cubits. And verse 16, you shall make a window for the ark. You shall finish it to a cubit from above. Set the door of the ark in its side. And you shall make it lowered second and third decks. And then the final day, what is written in the next passage, 7 and verse 16. So all those who entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. What do you see strange about what you read? Only if you have some information of ships, you'll find something strange there. Everything is made. Measurement is given, depth, length, breadth, what wood, pitching inside with pitch, outside with pitch, gap at the top, window here, door here. And then one thing you see, the door is shut from outside. And then you're still wondering, what is wrong with this picture? What is wrong with this picture? What is wrong with this picture? There's something wrong with this picture. What is wrong with this picture? Have you ever got into a car without engine or a steering wheel? Have you? This boat or ship has neither rudder or sails. And the door is shut from outside. Who is going to control you? Who is going to steer you? Who is going to decide your direction? God. Only God. That is what is strange about this picture. No sail. No rudder. Absolutely in the mercy of the one. Who called you? I believe you, Lord. That is salvation. He's the author, the finisher of your salvation. What he begins, he will finish. There is no control in your hand or my hand. It is in his hands. There is no power in you or me to move us. The power is in his hands. That is salvation. I didn't learn this till this week. 
No sail. No rudder. How is this boat going to move? How is it going to determine its direction? God, and you cannot even get out. God says, do you understand salvation? It's my work. And my work alone. What I ask from people is a reverent submission. I am holy. I am light. I am love. Trust me. Believe me. Obey me. I will reach you across. I will reach you across. There's no other way. Everybody else who believed in their own works, in their own concept about what is good and what is bad, when judgment came, they all perished. There was nobody left. It didn't matter if it was Noah's brother or Noah's wife's brother or it is daughter-in-law's brothers or parents. Everybody perished. Relationship did not matter. Blood ties did not matter. Power equations did not matter. Wealth did not matter. Your construction did not matter. Nothing mattered. The only thing that mattered is, did you believe God? Did you obey Him? That's the only thing that mattered. On the day of judgment, nothing else will matter. Nothing else will matter. That's why start now. Start today. One step at a time. Otherwise we are playing religion. And Jesus will weep over us as he wept over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Do you have any idea what is coming? I wanted to gather you around me like mother hen wanted to gather her chicks. But you would not acknowledge the hour of your visitation. Shall we stand today? This morning in the presence of God asking God, Lord, Lord, cause me to walk in your ways. Cause me, Lord. Help me to be wise like Solomon. To give me discernment. Discernment to be able to see evil and good. And not to call evil good and good evil. Help me, Lord, to walk with you. Even if it means I have to walk alone or God like Enoch did. Even if it means I'll be taken alone. Leaving everyone and everything that I loved behind. So be it God. Help me to love you with all my heart, all my mind, all my strength oh God. Help me. Help me Lord. Help me. We are weak. You are strong. Open our eyes that we might behold your beauty. Open our eyes we may behold your holiness. That we may relate everything in life to you and to you alone. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. All we can say this morning, Father, is we just surrender. We just surrender, Lord. As best as we know. We don't even know what it is with all our heart because we do not know what is in our heart. All we can say is, Lord, with our limited knowledge and understanding, we just surrender before Thee, Lord. And I pray You will start Your work in each one of us. Each one of us. We just surrender our lives into Thy hands. Teach us. Cause us to walk in your ways. Cause us to obey. When we read your word, cause us to be obedient until you speak. 
when you get on our knees one on one with you, cause us to stay there until you speak to us. Help us. Help us. Help us. Help us, Lord. Help us. Knowing the first promise you gave Cain, fallen mankind is, if you do right, you will be accepted. Help us to do what is right in your eyes. Thank you, Father. As we go into another week, I pray you would go before us and you would go with us and you would watch over us and you would protect us for these feet and these eyes and these ears and this mind have a habit of straying away from your path, O oh God. So we just surrender ourselves and pray, Lord, keep us close to you through this week. Help us to glorify you in everything that we do, Father. Help us to redeem our time knowing the days are evil. Help us to redeem the time, Lord. Thank you, Father. Bless your people. Strengthen your people. Heal your people. Thank you. Thank you, Father. We just lift up holy hands. We just bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. Bless your holy name. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.